Hey everyone, and welcome back to the 20 Minute Marketing Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Liam from Reach Interactive, and I invite guest experts to join us on the show every week to talk about marketing topics like branding, content marketing, paid ads, social media, and more. We release new episodes every Wednesday across all of the major podcast streaming sites, so be sure to come back and check out some of our future episodes if you do enjoy listening. One thing that I do like to do on the show is to keep our introductions nice and swift, so I'll get started. Today we have a wonderful guest that will be joining us on the show. I'm excited to introduce Andy Duggan to you, who is a chartered marketer that has worked in roles at BP, the Co-op Bank, Zen Internet, and more. So Andy brings a lot of marketing experience, and I'm looking forward to chatting with him. So hey Andy, hope things are well. Could you give us a brief introduction on yourself, please? Yeah, my name is Andy Duggan. For the last four and a half years, I worked for BP Retail, which are 22,000 retail stores globally. I look after digital marketing. And yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. 2021's going to be a good year. I'm currently in the market for job roles, so I'm just speaking to a few brands. I'm about to cherry pick what job would be good for me going forward in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know whichever brand you do choose, we'll be lucky to have you. And I'll be keeping an eye out on that in the near future. So turning our attention to this episode then, we're going to be talking about influencer marketing and an interesting post that Andy shared on LinkedIn earlier this year that was all about knowing when to use influencers and how to get the best results. Uh, I thought it would turn into a really cool podcast episode, so I reached out to Andy and asked if he would like to talk about it. So here we are, let's dive in. So you shared a post earlier this year, which was all about how marketers in 2021 need to cut out weak influencers from their media buy-in and that their culture is damaging to society. I think that's a pretty bold statement. So I was wondering if you could tell us what caused that post and why you think some things are going wrong in the industry. The example is the government paid around £63,000 to promote the Track and Trace app and they selected you know, the stereotypical Love Islanders the type of modern day celebrities that we see across the UK, you know, that have been on TV for a few weeks, that people recognise the name if they watch those shows, and then they've started commercialising their, you know, social media channels and they become quote unquote an influencer. What I've become frustrated by is where is the standards that marketers, you know, trying to embed into their marketing, you know, in this day and age? Because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing the government from a marketing viewpoint and we should expect the government to have a decent marketing team given the volume of budget that they have to work with and given the tasks that they've got on their hands. Let's forget COVID and you know the, the struggles with that at the moment. But the objective is to get people to download the app and utilize the app. Now, selecting influencers uh, who have been on Love Island to say, you know, it's important that we all get behind COVID and do our best. And then they're trying to encourage people to download and utilize the app. So one is, have they influenced their network to download and utilize the app? That is the fundamental objective. Two, have the government looked at the, the network and the tribe that follows those influencers to say what percentage of those are likely to have utilized the app pre and post the influencer marketing? But my biggest problem was some of these influencers in the recent months have been jetting all around the world to make content overseas. Now, they cannot truly buy into that narrative if one minute they're getting paid to say, follow COVID rules and respect the rules, and then the next minute they're saying they've got to go to Dubai and Bahamas and all these nice places to create content. Now, 
if they're good at influencing, they should be able to create content in Manchester, Liverpool, or wherever they're living, in proximity to where they're living, and stay in their areas rather than jet into Dubai and Bahamas and all these other places. So I found it a bit hypocritical that we have people being paid well, utilising that money to go overseas to create more content to sell to more people. So I just felt that they truly don't buy into the narrative and it's actually the payments they want to take on a post-by-post basis. Now, it's nothing against the influencers. If they're getting paid to do that, then they're really the smart ones in the equation. They're getting paid to promote services and companies and brands are paying them. But we need to wise up as marketers. Why has the government got marketers working for them or marketing agencies working for them, recommending that, they, you know, and I won't name the influencers, but recommend they should work with this influencer. What I need to see in the equation is why. Why do they need to work with that influencer? Why do they need to pay that influencer? I'm sure there's better ways to get app adoption, and there is better ways to get app adoption than an influencer posting out about the app. Now, the only thing the government has come back to say about the influencer marketing is it helped them to reach 7 million people. Now, we've got to look at the app itself, the Track and Trace app. It's probably the most talked about app in the UK of 2020. It had news coverage on national news. It was in the press. You could debate whether the app itself was up to standard and whether it worked. But this is an app that was well marketed and the awareness was high already. So I just think, one, they shouldn't have been doing influencer marketing in this example because the key is adoption of the app and not awareness of the app. So you don't need to use those influencers. Two, the influencer that selected was what I would call what I put as weak influencers. Why pick those out of everyone you can pick in the UK? UK got 66 million people. Why pick those people, right? So they've just gone for the headline status. We need to get reach to 7 million people and these people will do it. I personally don't think it was a good investment. But if you dig deeper into the, the industry and the topic and things like that, they selected a few Love Islanders from you know a few seasons ago that are probably decreasing in gravitas value anyway. So do people still follow these people? Do these people still influence? You know, they've been on the show a few years back. But Love Island actually had a doctor on the show who's now working in the NHS that's producing content daily saying, look, wear your mask. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the ground here within my local hospital. I'm helping people that have got COVID and things like that. If the NHS was smart, they would have took all that money, that 65K, instead of dividing it up on a post amongst, you know, 30, 40 people, pay that individual who's been on Love Island, who is a doctor within the NHS, and make him the advocate, put him on your billboards. Because if you're trying to use influence and you're trying to tap into that Love Island audience, then you've got someone already in the NHS that is your best advocate because that person's on the ground. What we've got now is we've got a, a channel within marketing that's being oversold and underperforming. Yeah, that was a really interesting answer. And I almost feel like I could have just handed you the reins and let you speak for the entire 20 minutes without interruption, uh, because it's clear that it's a topic that you've thought about in depth. I do have some things that I would like to comment on, though, that I think sort of add to the conversation. Before I do, 30% of our audience is US-based. So I just wanted to mention that Love Island is a reality TV show over here. It runs nightly over the entire summer period and is watched by about four or five million people. And it has a huge influence. I'd probably compare it to something like The Bachelor for you. And like Andy said, the people that go on the show do end up becoming influencers, which is a term that I use lightly. Um, But they are sort of talked about uh, for several years after they've been on the show. So in terms of the government, I think they definitely messed up with that campaign. And I agree with you, Andy, uh, because people don't look for medical advice from ex-Love Island stars, or at least they shouldn't. 
On the flip side, though, if we take the government out of the equation, I'm sure that there are small retail brands or e-com stores that are using influencers for one-off posts and getting results. They might know that influencers only care about the money, or they might not. But ultimately, if they're making more money from it, then it's likely that they're going to continue. So moving forward, what do you think brands should be doing in 2021 when it comes to influencer marketing? And how can they be successful, but also remain credible and trustworthy? Yeah, so what we've kind of ended up in marketing is a fork in the road where we say influencers are these people with social following, whether it be YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and then we define their success on how big their followers are. And what the mindset is, we get these influencers and we tap into their audience and they reach X millions of people for us on our behalf as brand marketers. But the problem you got is, how many, pe- how many brands are those individuals working in a given year? Some might be 50, some might be 500. And what you're going to need to think about is, does the narrative of this is a product, this is what I use, does it wear off over time? Yes, it does when they're using so many brands and partnering with so many brands. And then traditionally in marketing, you might have a brand ambassador, someone that your brand worked with for two, three years, they become a face of your brand. And kind of what we need to do is get to this middle now. And the middle is where I think things will play out over the next year, next two years, next three years. Can you get exclusivity with that person and their audience over a medium period of time and not one-off content? Equally, can you make sure that they don't work with too many brands at once? What you don't want from a brand point of view is that influencer working with you one week and working with someone else in your uh, sector or industry or your competitor a week later. And what you can't do at the moment with influencers is you can't put assurances in place and contracts in place to make sure that happens. What we need to evolve to is the middle ground of saying, I'm going to build out a two-year relationship with this influencer. I'm going to get exclusivity on them and I'm going to build out a series of content and I'm going to make sure that they are one of many or one of a few ambassadors of our brand. And that's kind of where we need to play as, as marketers. We got their face on our marketing and their gravitas, but we also tap into their audiences. I think there's this assumption amongst people that don't work in social media or aren't involved in social media that think, oh, this person has 5 million followers, so if we can get them to post for us, then we'll get 5 million people that see that. Some of those accounts might be inactive, some might be bots, some might be casuals that go on Instagram every one or two weeks, for example. So a lot of those people won't actually see a post. So I think that also makes me question the government saying that they reached 7 million people. Did they just count up the followers of those influencers or did they get real statistical data and ask those influencers on Instagram to use features like branded content business partner tags, which show them actual results, or did they just sort of pluck a number out of thin air? When you're selling reach, it's very easy to sell a lot of it. What we need to be looking at is their tribe, what their tribe looks like as in their followers the gravitas they have in relation to that tribe and how engaged that tribe is to that tribe leader. From my point of view, everyone calls them influencers, but I, I, I think of them as tribe leaders. They have a tribe and how successful they are. A lot of the YouTube stars are probably the best at being a tribe leader and influencing their tribe. They're really good at it because they create daily content. But some of the influ- uh, Instagram influencers are just posting one-off content you might see a picture and you like it, and that's one millisecond of an interaction based on a timeline of loads of images. And what we need to do now is put a value on the different types of content based on how the tribe engages with that content. YouTube content from an influencer should be worth a lot more than Instagram content. And you've got 
the in between, which may be TikTok content, which is a 10 second clip or 15 second clip. But we need to start breaking down these influencers across their channels and putting a value against it. And I think that's where you can really get a difference in results and performance. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting comparison that you gave because the average length of a YouTube video is around 11 minutes. So that means a content creator has the attention of their audience or tribe for quite a long period of time. Whereas, like you mentioned, on Instagram, it's often just a quick double tap to like someone's post and then you keep on scrolling to the next one. I think if I spent, let's say, five, 10 minutes on Instagram and then you quizzed me 60 seconds later and said, which post did you interact with? I'd probably struggle to tell you more than two or three at most. So I think that's really interesting. Moving forward then, I'd be interested to know if there are any brands that you think have leveraged influencers really well over the last maybe 12 months. One I like at the moment from uh, the end of last year is Burberry. Burberry have always worked with you know uh, celebrities and had celebrity endorsers. But recently they partnered with a footballer in the UK or a soccer player if you're American who plays for Manchester United called Marcus Rashford. Now, during the COVID, there was, uh, in the UK, for the American listeners, there was a debate over whether kids should have free school meals who come from underprivileged families. And because schools are closed, the government struggled to provide these um, meals and packages to the families that couldn't afford to put food on the table. Now, Marcus Rashford is from, you know, a very difficult area of Manchester, you know, low income, and he's grown up and he's focused on football and come up through the Manchester United ranks. But he's very much from the community of an underprivileged community. So Marcus Rashford got involved and he challenged the government to say, look, what are we doing to provide these meals for kids? It created so much press. um, It created so much awareness. It created so much gravitas for him as an individual. Now, Burberry have been very smart and they put him as the brand ambassador of Burberry for the next couple of years. Now, what you've got is a footballer who traditionally has been perceived as being well paid and they're really well paid and they're earning X amount of money. But what they've got is a footballer now who has global reach, but has the gravitas from a UK point of view of having meaning, having feelings and doing something across the whole country and starting a whole narrative of what are we doing as a country to help people and kids that can't afford school meals or can't or has parents that can't afford school meals. So Burberry being very smart because they've got this individual now who looks good because he's a sports star. He has global reach. He plays for one of the biggest sports clubs in the world, but he has meanings, he has feelings, he has that personal level. And that's taken that brand further and that will take that brand further over the next couple of years. I also had a quick look at some of the brands that have a good influencer strategy myself before we started recording, just to see if I could sort of throw any out there when I asked you this question. Um, And one that came up is Gymshark. I know that I mentioned them regularly on the show, which is quite funny since I can't remember the last time that I actually went to a gym. Um, But they have ambassadors that are known as Gymshark athletes. And when they have big events, which might be on hold right now, they get athletes to attend as well. So fans can attend launch events for new Gymshark products or announcements and things like that. But they also get the opportunity to potentially meet an athlete that they look up to and that they respect. So it's a win-win for all parties. So I think my final question then is, let's say that you are building out an influencer campaign for a global site or a retail brand. How would you start that process and what are some of the things that you would be looking to do to get the ball rolling? It's quite straightforward, really. What you got to do is start with the marketing objective. Is it awareness? Is it app downloads? Is it reach? Is it 
e-commerce conversions. And you've got to be really strong and really firm on what is that single KPI or objective. If it's to sell more products and you then start measuring stuff in terms of reach, the two are not going to match up because you've got a middle of a funnel there that needs bridging. So you've got to be very clear on what the KPIs are. And that's where I think the government went wrong in that example earlier because they wanted people to use a track and trace app and the track and trace app already had national awareness to begin with. So using influence in that example wasn't the best way to spend money. So you start off with that objective, be very clear what it is. And then you need to start to cherry pick who would relate to that as in is the people degrees of separation that would relate to that as in someone that would use that product service already that you could tap into and then you'd get them people whoever that individual is and you'll also get individuals that are a bit further away degrees of separation from that brand because you want to draw in new audiences for example now if it's a food product and you've got uh, an influencer that buys the food anyway that's your starting point to say that person buys our food. They're already a strong advocate of the brand and the product without even paying them. Let's get them on board. And then what you want to do as well is reach new audiences and new tribes beyond that. So you want to look at who would be on the fringes to pull their tribe into your brand. And you will need to do more work with them because it needs to look more natural over time. One-off posts I'm not an advocate of because there's so much content out there and do we really consume that content in the way marketers think we consume the content? I don't think we do. Medium-term relationships is what I'd focus on. Can I get a team of four or five or six individuals, build out relationships with them over two, three years and really leverage them? Because you've got to be clear on what that individual is doing beyond the single post. And then if you look back in history, this is why MGM, the film studio in the 1930s, 1940s, they would sign actors and actresses to their brand and then they would control them from a contract point of view to say, you only work with us, you turn up to this event, you do this, you do that. The reason being is, yes, it's very controlled, and I'm not recommending doing that in this day and age because you need authenticity, but it was very controlled for a reason. They put someone as a, a big superhero on their on their movies. It's not good that person being so shown drunk, falling out of cars at 1 a.m. in the morning down Hollywood Boulevard. They controlled it for a reason because these people became their superstars and to build a superstar takes time, and they had to inject a lot of their time and effort into marketing these individuals over a period of time. So, yes, you want flexibility, but you want to make sure that people align with your actual core values of your business, because if you don't, you look very, very silly. The example would be, recently, EE, the phone company, used Rita Ora, the musician on a TV campaign. Very good person to pick Rita Ora. I think it's very good for their brand. But then Rita Ora is in the press for breaking COVID rules, having a you know a party of 20 had to apologize the first thing ee did and it's not really talked about in the marketing community is they pulled that tv campaign now that's a very expensive mistake to happen but it's the right choice to make from a brand point of view this person's been shown breaking covid rules we have to pull the tv ad but they're the type of things you can protect because you could put assurances in place by working with someone over a period of time to say if you then break this rule this rule and this rule we should get a rebate on your fee by X, Y, and Z. And I would just say you need to put the frameworks in place because people are being exposed more and more and more now because society is getting a bit frustrated with influencers, certain influencers living a high life where everyone else is in lockdown on Christmas. Yeah, some more really great points there around the importance of really understanding what your objectives are and what you want to achieve. We're going to wrap up this main section on influencer marketing right here. To close out the episode, I'll be asking two quick questions to Andy that I ask to every guest that joins us. So stay tuned for a few more minutes. 
So my first question, Andy, is do you have a memorable story that jumps out when you look back on your career? It could be something funny, inspirational or cringeworthy, for example. Yeah, so this will relate to anyone who works at a marketing agency. So when you're working at a marketing agency, you get some work done and you always need client feedback and client sign-off. And chasing a client and certain clients for answer that feedback and sign-off can be very tedious and it can be a very long and drawn-out process. When I was working agency side, I had a client and they didn't really respond to signing off stuff. So um, I went on a TV show at the time. It was called The Million Pound Drop. And I went on with my brother and we went on the show. It was filmed over two weekends. And then uh, after the second weekend, uh, the director of this company emailed me to say, sorry on the show, well done. What was question number one again? And then I emailed him back the question number one from the show. And then he emailed back with his answer. And he emailed me again saying, what was question number two? And I emailed him back, what the question number two? We went back and forth over eight questions, me asking him what the questions I got asked on the show and he would respond to see if he could win the show. Very weird situation. Anyway, I was in conversation with that director separately about signing off the work. So I ended the conversation about that million pound drop email chain to say, yeah, can you sign off the work now? And he just never responded again for about eight weeks. I was like, this is, this is bizarre because they was more interested about what was going on in the show than their own business of getting content and work signed off. It just shows that people are people. And that was just interesting at the time that I could get this person to ask random questions about TV shows, but I couldn't get them to sign off the work. Yeah, that's a great story. And I remember they had an interactive version of this game on their website where you could play along. And I used to do that when I was bored on a Friday night or whenever it was, when I was about 15 or 16 at the time. So uh, it brings back memories. And I don't usually ask a follow-up question, but I'm going to have to ask you if you won any money. I won the show. Uh, I went on with my brother and we, we got the lowest level of money, which is still significant. We got 25 grand and we split it between us. That day is a good day I quit Twitter because I got trolled during the show, before the show and after the show about every single answer I gave. And that's when it was 2014, 2013. I realized how bad, nasty trolls are online and they can really have an impact on you personally if you take it to heart. Yeah, completely agree. I think Twitter can be a toxic place sometimes, but it's good to hear that you did win some money from the show. So my final question is, do you have a favorite marketing resource that you use on a regular basis, which might help our listeners? Basic one, but I find it the best source of information, my LinkedIn. So what I make sure I do is connect with people that engage and people that add content to their LinkedIn on a regular basis, and I create dialogue with those individuals. Equally, if anyone's listening and want to connect with me, just search Andy Duggan. I try and create dialogue on my LinkedIn. So if you don't create on yours, jump on mine and let's have a conversation about different stuff. Not saying I'm right, not saying I'm wrong, but the dialogue's the most important part of that. I definitely recommend connecting with Andy if you haven't already. He shares some really interesting content that is non-promotional and is all about creating discussions and having a chat about marketing topics and channels. We're going to wrap up right here. I've had a lot of fun chatting with you, Andy. And thank you for sharing some really valuable insights with us around influencers and how to leverage them effectively. A big thanks also to everyone that listened to this episode. Really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another brand new topic. So I'll see you then.